For what do I have If I don't have you, Jesus What in this life Could mean anymore You are my rock You are my glory You are the lifter of my head All right, everybody, welcome to Good Friday service and uh, Good Friday, of course, for us, but not so good for the Lord. But we're so grateful, aren't we, that in love, God sent his son to be a substitute, a sacrifice for our sins. And what a great demonstration. Uh, And the Last Supper, as we're going to take a look at tonight, uh, really kicks off the grand finale of Jesus' life and work uh, he said he came to taste death for everyone, to destroy the work of the devil, to set the captives free. Now, here's how John says those last hours began. John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God, and that he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And we're going to pause there. We're going to take a a look at this really wonderful passage that shows the love of Jesus and the humility of Jesus and the uh, life-changing lesson that he uh, displayed there that night he was betrayed there at the table as he washed those dirty feet. The first thing that the Holy Spirit wants us to see through uh, John's writing here is that, number one, Jesus is in charge. He's calling the shots. Nobody takes the life of the Son of God. He came for that very purpose. As I've said many times, Jesus wasn't killed for his good work. It was his good work to be killed. He said, nobody takes my life. I willingly lay it down. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to raise it back up. And so John's really making the point that really something isn't going wrong here. On the night he's betrayed, it's going according to schedule. It's going in a very right way. And so it says there in your text, the hour had come, and up until then, he had divine protection. Of course, uh, Herod's attempt in Matthew chapter 2 to destroy the Messiah fails because it hadn't been Jesus' hour. Uh, The hometown people who tried to throw him off that cliff in Nazareth, you know, it wasn't the time God was in charge there when he proclaimed that he was the Messiah. Then uh, the temple guards, you'll recall, were sent out to arrest him. They came back empty-handed because it wasn't his time. But the scriptures say here in your text, Jesus knew that the hour had come. And he said just, just a little bit before this, he said, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came 
to this hour. That's in John chapter 12. So Jesus is in charge and Jesus knows the time has arrived and there's no turning back. Things are going to move really swift and fast now, kind of like a woman in labor. In fact, he made, uh, he described it like this at the table in John chapter 16 there. He said, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her hour has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. And so there at the table, the labor pains have struck and Jesus knows there's no turning back. It is, as I said, T minus 12 hours to the cross. The labor pains are fast and furious, sharp and unrelenting, wave after wave. And it's going to move quick now. It's going to go from after the meal. It's going to go from the upper room to the hill of olives, the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane where the first drops of blood for our redemption will be shed. And then from the garden, he'll be hauled back down to the high priest in chains. And then from Annas to Caiaphas. And then from Caiaphas to Pilate at dawn. And then from Pilate to to Herod, and then from Herod back to Pilate, and now with a scarlet robe and a crown of thorns. And from Pilate to the flogging post, and from the flogging post to the cross, and from the cross he will be lifted up so that he can draw all men unto him. It was his time. It was his hour. He was in charge. And look at your text in verse 3. Jesus had full knowledge of. He knew who he was. He knew where he came from. He knew why he was here. He knew where he was going. In other words, he was aware of his authority, his divine origin, and his destiny, and his mission. And because he knew all of that, he says, now I'm going to flash my power. No, it says, because he knew that he himself was God, that he had a destiny to fulfill. He knows all of this. And what does he do? He gets up and he heads toward the servant's apron to put that on. This is his great display that comes after the full awareness of his own deity and his own purpose and his own destiny, when that all comes together, he sees a job that's been left undone and he dons the servant's garb and gets busy washing feet. And so you know where this is headed. Time to get busy washing their dirty toes. And so he gets up from the meal and, uh, well, wait a second here. Verse 2 says the meal's already in progress. What a, why are we going back in time and doing something that should have been done in the foyer before the meal starts? But here the meal's already in progress. He gets up. The feet already should have been washed. What's going on? You need a little backstory, and all of you know what's going on in the foyer of every home there. There was a place to wash dirty feet, a little recessed area. In Japan, they have something called a genkan, and it's just a little uh, step down to where you can take off your muddy, dirty shoes and not walk in the house 
with that kind of uh, dirt on your uh, on your shoes and what have you. And so this is what was going on there. It was the household servant's job to assist uh, guests to remove their sandals. And so because of the sandals, the open toes of the dirt road, it was really important, especially because when you had dinner, you reclined and kind of on your side on, on, a, on a, like a, like a little couch. And so your feet were exposed and up and the tables like coffee tables imagine them with the food right there and your feet around there it just not a pretty sight all right not really appetizing now no one gets past the foyer without washing their feet especially on a holiday so the basin, the pitcher, the towel are there but no servants why because it's a secret meeting there's no servant there. Testing, one, two, three. Because if the servant is missing and you had a dinner party, what would happen is one of the guests would graciously volunteer to do the dirty work. And so someone in the group was supposed to take on that job. Well, that's not going to happen tonight. Because Luke tells you why. The disciples have been having a little bit of a disagreement over who was the greatest one. And so, uh, you know, and how ugly is that? Can you only imagine? I mean, really, uh, Luke 22 tells you it even manifested at the supper, right? And so can you imagine Peter saying, you know, what do you mean? I'm the greatest one. I, I mean, come on, Peter, James, and John, Peter, James, and John, Peter, James, and John, right? So at least it has to be me, and he always mentions me first. And then John is going to say, well, he doesn't call you sons of thunder, you know, <clears throat> and they're going back and forth, back and forth. How ugly, how, how terrible our sins look on them, Amen. It's awful. And so uh, they're busy arguing over who's the greatest, and they all enter the foyer, right? And if one of them agreed, they're arguing. Luke tells us they're in the midst of an argument when they're in the foyer. So if one of them takes the servant's role, and I do remind you, John the Baptist's statement of regarding the lowest possible task a human could be asked to do is unlatch a sandal. He said, I'm not even worthy to do that. So you know the mindset there. So the first disciple, while they're arguing who's greatest, to say, wait a second, I'll put on the apron and I'll unlatch your sandals, is, is the self-confessed least of all of them. But Jesus, this argument has already come up several times in three years. And Jesus already took them aside and said, listen, heaven measures greatness by those who serve. Those who are self-absorbed are least in the kingdom. The greatest among you shall be everybody's servant. That's how it works in heaven. And so the evening holiday meal was in progress and the holiday appetizers were served next to dirty feet and proud hearts and scowling faces. And Jesus waits there. As he often does, he just waits and watches. 
and listens. And so maybe when they started saying, no, me, yeah, me, me, look at me, the Lord just gets up and goes over, takes off his cloak and takes on the servant's towel. It's like an apron and he gets to work doing what nobody else wanted to do. And the Bible says to show them the, the meaning of to the end, to love somebody to the end, to show them the full extent of his love, that undeserving at the height of while he's ready to die for the sins of the world. And he's been telling them that. Are you going to have my beard plucked out? I'm going to have, I'm going to have my face bat upon. I'm going to be handed over to the bad guys and I'm going to be executed. And what they're talking about is themselves and how great they are and who's the best disciple to show someone like that the full extent of washing their dirty feet, which is a picture of far greater thing of him washing our unworthy souls. And that is really what the passage is about now to the full extent of God's love. Picking up at verse 5. After that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't get it now, but you'll get it later. Verse 8, no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus said, okay, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replies, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. (laughs) Jesus answered, those who have had a bath, Simon need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew, once again, who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. Let's take a look at this now. The disciples get a spanking. All right? I mean, let me serve you guys. You know, while you guys finish your conversation up, uh, uh, I, the Lord will take on the job of the servant. And so uh, Jesus is now going to do what any one of them should have been privileged and honored and happy to do. But Peter lets us all know how painfully humiliating that moment was. They probably all felt that way, but only Peter is going to put it into words. And so, you know, Peter's going to say this is, 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 is humbling, But one commentator said, yeah, Peter, a proud humility on Peter's part. Bossing the Lord around. First he says, no, I'm not going to let you do what you want to do. Less than what you want to do. And then Jesus says, no, this is what I want to do. And then he says, no, I want you to do more than uh, you have said to do. And so, yeah, Peter doesn't look his best tonight. And so... I don't think so. The conversation goes, if you allow me to paraphrase it, Peter says, seriously, Lord, you wash my feet like that's ever going to happen. And in the Greek, it's very strong. It says, no, never to all eternity is the meaning, right? Well, Jesus says, well, if that doesn't happen, my dear friend, then our relationship is over. Why? Because you can't have a relationship with God, Jesus Christ, and not have your sins dealt with. 
That's impossible. So he says, hey, if, if I'm not going to wash you, then we don't have anything in common. And so Peter says, in that case, uh, bring out the hose, head, shoulders, <laughs> knees, and toes. It's bath time. And so now Jesus is going to speak figuratively, theologically about salvation. And he says, listen, you've already had a bath, Peter. Saved people like you, Peter. You've had the deep cleanse. There's one Lord, one God, one faith, one baptism. One. And once a Christian has been cleansed by the blood of Christ and the Holy Spirit has come in and sealed that work. There's no need for rebaptism. There's no need for getting saved over and over again. But there is a need for Christians who pick up defilement on their feet from what they do and what they say and where they go. That provision is made. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he's in the business of daily cleansing his disciples' feet, even today as we confess our daily sins against him that don't make us unsaved, as the verse implies, but just that we need to be cleansed of those sins that Hebrews chapter 12 says so easily entangle us. Oh, my word, that happens all the time. We worship other things. We're dishonest. We're, we have selfish actions. We have lusts and greed and pride and more. These are the things that, for lack of a better phrase, that we step in that defile us. And Jesus says, no need for salvation again. Because if, if we say we, we don't sin, we lie. Because we continue to sin. He says, my little children, listen, I'm writing to you, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, I'm writing to you that you may not sin. Don't sin. But if someone does sin, good news. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, who was sent into this world to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not just for our sins, but the sins for the whole world. And so when we pick up defilement, we are free to go to the Lord to be cleansed. And then he says, you're clean, but not every one of you. And then he shoots a look at Judas again. Judas is an enigma. Judas, Judas, come on. Three and a half years with God in a human body. Hebrews chapter one and verse three says, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Colossians 2, nine says that Jesus is the fullness of God in a human body. In John chapter 14, verse nine, which he'll say at the table, anybody who's seen me has seen God. Judas is in God's presence, hearing God's unfiltered word, seeing the miracles, and yet resists and hardens his heart. Judas is scary, but it says, listen, God knew about that. Jesus knew all about it. In fact, when this is over, the very next verse, Jesus will set, quote, a psalm 
that names Judas, that refers to Judas, a thousand years before Judas is born, Jesus says in that psalm, in this verse, that even a good friend of mine who I shared bread with, and he might have pointed to the bread, has turned against me, referring to Judas. And so, yeah, he knows. He knows every player. He knows what's going on. He's in charge. So, I'll never understand. Somebody asked me, do you think that he repented at the end? I mean, he cried. He gave back the money. He went and confessed, I've betrayed an innocent man to the Pharisees. Yeah, no. He had worldly sorrow. The word used to repent there means to have regret or remorse. It does not mean to have a change of, of life. The way that we talk about repentance, that word is in the Greek, it's metanaeo. In the Greek, it means to have a complete change of heart. So he was kind of sad that he got caught. He was kind of remorseful that the whole thing blew up and didn't work his way. But Jesus said, listen, it would have been better for him never to have been born. So I don't think things went well for him. Let's finish up. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sends him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And so Jesus is going to leave them in the full extent of his love with something to imprint on their souls that will change their lives. He's going to show them this is the secret to happiness. This is the secret of staying out of the psychiatrist's office. This is going to be the secret to contentment and sweetness in your heart and joy and usefulness to God. This is going to be the secret. So pay attention. Do you guys understand what I did for you? The foot washing had been an object lesson, a lesson of a lifetime. So in verse 12, he checks for uh, clarity, right? He says, do you understand what just happened? Okay, I am trying to teach you something. They were slow learners. The word disciples mean, means learners, right? But oftentimes Jesus seemed a little bit frustrated with them. And you know why? They were slow learners, and he rebuked them and said one time, are you guys still so dense? And he said that. Why? Not because they have a low IQ or because they, they didn't know something. Uh, it's because they didn't know something they should have known. They weren't applying. They weren't working at it. They weren't taking it seriously. So they were dense because of their own bad behavior. That's something Jesus could get 
correcting them about. And so do you apply yourself? I mean, there are Christians here that should be teaching by now and still they're wondering if God's going to be faithful in some recent trial that they're facing. We need to apply what we're learning and it's not enough to know, as he will say right here. You'll be blessed when you put that into practice. And so he says, I'm setting for you an example, verse 15. Not, not that you guys need to continue foot washing. Uh, if you do that in the right attitude, I mean, it was a cultural thing. There's something deeper going on there. He's saying that you need to be able to humble yourself, to have a daily mindset of an attitude of a servant. To be a Christ follower is to be like Christ. Christ said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am humble, lowly in heart. I am meek, lowly in heart. God Almighty, who says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give myself away. And that's the way life is designed to work. And if you've got it inverted and you're at the center, and me, myself, and I, I call that the unholy trinity. <laughs> life will implode. The Bible says, James chapter 3 and verse 16 says, selfish ambition, where you find selfish ambition, a self-absorbed person, you will find every evil practice and chaos. It's, it's the petri dish of all other vices to be self-absorbed and living for self. He says, congratulations, you found yourself. Guess what? You've actually lost yourself. And it's in losing yourself for my sake, you'll find life. You'll find who you are. This whole world is programmed for looking out for number one. And so he has to give them this beautiful object lesson. He reasons so wonderfully with them, verses 13 to 17 there. He's just saying, you've been calling me Lord, right? And that's a good thing because that's who I am. But if I'm the Lord and I'm okay doing the job that nobody else wanted to do and saying, hey, you know, I'm here to serve. I'm here to help out. If I'm okay taking that role and you're my servant and I'm the Lord, then how could you ever say anything is beneath you? Are you greater than I am? That's really what he's asking. He says, take my attitude, follow my example. Nowhere else do we see it better than Philippians chapter 2. Let me just read that real quick to you. Here's the command. Do nothing out of self-centeredness or empty conceit about your own life. But in humility, it means low to the ground. Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not just to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as Christ. You're a Christ follower. We've got Christian, Christ-likeness, who, being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, and we saw that happen. 
being made in human likeness, God. And being found in appearance as a man, he was fully man, fully God. He humbled himself. He did and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And I, I left this part in there because, you know, we always hear about the death and the dying and the giving up and the sacrifice. But you forget that on the way to heaven the, and the crown, first the cross, but then the resurrection. It's just, just this part. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If the one who spoke and the universe leapt into existence says, I'm lowly in heart. I'm a servant. I don't mind washing dirty feet and doing something nobody else in the room wants to do. I'm okay with that. I'm good with that. He's saying, how do we apply that? He says, I want you to do that kind of thing for one another. Well, what would that look like? I'm thinking what it would look like is doing the job no one wants to do or seeking the applause of God rather than the praise of men. Or what does that look like today? Well, I'll tell you what. It looks like this. Apologizing easily. Not getting your feathers all up in a ruffle. Right? Because if there's less of you, there's less of you to offend. Right? And so not having to always be right, not having to always have the last word, not having always to get your own way, this is what it looks like. What does it look like at home and in marriages? It, it looks like serving the other one, building the other one up, meeting the other person's needs. Somebody said to me, my whole marriage has changed. I said, what changed about it? They said, I changed a question that I was asking myself. What was that question? The question was, how is my spouse failing me? I would always be wondering and making a list. And then I changed the question because the Holy Spirit prompted me to change the question to how was I failing my spouse? And then when my behavior changed, the spouse's behavior. That's how it works. How would it look at work? Well, you might smile more at work. You might have a, a better attitude. You might go beyond what the boss's expectations are. Why? Because you love Jesus. And you want to be like Jesus. Jesus is the one who said, somebody says, hey, I want you to go one mile. The Roman soldiers used to conscript you, it was called, and bang on your shoulder twice. And it meant you had to drop what you were doing and carry some sack for him one mile. It was Roman law. But Jesus said, I want you to look up at that Roman guard and say, sir, at the end of the one mile, may I go too? What? Let him insult you here and turn around. Hey, you forgot something over here. And if somebody, let's contemporize this. If somebody wants to sue you for your car, Give him the car and throw in a gift box in the trunk. <laughs> this is the idea of God is that you decrease, that he may increase. And this is the way up. 
Because when you humble yourself, he says, I will exalt you. But those who exalt themselves, he will humble. And he has lots of creative ways to do that. (laughs) Doesn't he not? I, I for one, I just want to start the day. Look, I want to start low. Right, I don't want to give God any cause or reason to have to teach me humility. And sadly, it's, he still needs to teach it to me. <laughs> so this is the key to happiness. He says that we can, did we go back? Yeah, let's go back and close up now with those last few. And then we're going to take communion so that we can have our little defiled feet wherever they've been <laughs> cleansed, right? But he says, listen. Now that you know these things, you'd be blessed if you do them. (laughs) I love what he says. Yeah, everybody says, okay, I get that. No, 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 no. (laughs) That's not how you'll be blessed, that you get it. It's that you actually do it, right? And he says, makarios in the Greek. It means just an overarching sense of well-being, of joy and happiness, peace and contentment, a sweetness of life by putting others before yourself and humbling yourself and living for God. He says, then you'll really be blessed. Let's pray together. God, we want to be blessed, but it's really hard to do it your way. (laughs) It goes against every natural inclination of our being, God. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit and transformation because the new man, the person you're creating in us, wants to obey, wants to live for you. So help that new life in us, Lord, and help us yield to the Holy Spirit's desire to make us more like Christ that we would be more servant-hearted, more quick to forgive, more like you. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.